Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. All right. National Public Radio, NPR. Well, they've come out with a, a new, apparently a style thing. I'm not sure I'm going to adopt it. To me, I think what you're seeing is, again, political correctness run amok. All right. Did you know that there is apparently a tampon shortage which is occurring? For a variety of reasons, tampons apparently are becoming harder and harder to find. Um, and of course, maybe, maybe if we stop putting tampons into men's restrooms, maybe there'd be more around. But I, I know this is an issue because here is, here is the tweet that our friends at NPR sent out yesterday. Tampons, a necessity for many, are becoming harder and harder to find. People who menstruate are saying it's hard to find tampons on store shelves across the U.S. right now as supply chain upsets reach the feminine care aisle, they wrote. Okay, now what strikes you about that? Okay, that there is a tampon shortage, but who is the tampon shortage for? Well, according to NPR, it's people who menstruate. Okay, um, people who menstruate. What are we really talking about? We're talking about women. But when it comes to NPR, apparently the term women is either offensive to some or it is insufficiently inclusive. So we get people who menstruate. I swear I cannot make this stuff up. This actually goes back to um, the the AOC, the, the congresswoman, you know, part of the squad from New York. I mean, she was talking about this a while ago, and that was her phrase. She can't bring herself to say women, so what we say is people who menstruate. So, again, NPR jumping on board has decided that using the term women is, like I say, it's either offensive or insufficiently inclusive, so we get people who menstruate. All right, I, I could give you all sorts of other e- examples of this, you know, where we, we can't refer to men anymore, I guess, as men. We would have to say, I, I don't know, people who have, you know, biologically certain things that are given to the male gender at birth. I, say, I don't know, but it's we can't just say women who menstruate anymore. It's got to be people who menstruate. Again, you can't make this stuff up. All right, let us get right to it. It uh, it has not been hot so far this year. I mean, I, I think can we all agree that it has been a crummy, cold, wet spring? Maybe a couple warm days, maybe, but they have been few and far between. Last night, it was not hot at all. This morning, it was not hot at all. The temperature now at noon is around eighty-five. So yeah, that that's that that's warm. So it appears that it's it is getting hot, but it's not one hundred and twenty degrees. It it's it's eighty-five right now, and and maybe maybe it'll get a little bit warmer this afternoon. But again, it, it hasn't been hot. 
And so it's not like, oh, my gosh, we're in this sweltering heat wave that's lasted day after day after day. And yet, despite the fact that it hasn't been hot, that it wasn't hot yesterday, that it really wasn't hot this morning, and it, it may, in fact, get a little bit warm later on this day today, MPS made the decision to call off school for the afternoon. So this is, I think it's the last week of school. I think Wednesday is the final day of, of school. But students who begin at 7.20, they're out now at 11.30. Um, students who start at 9, they're getting released at 12.30. And um, let's see, summer academy sites will be released at 1 p.m. All after-school activities and learning centers are canceled for tonight, this afternoon, and this evening because, well, it, it's looking like it, it might get into the 90s. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, 17% of MPS schools are fully air-conditioned. 63% have air conditioning in at least one room, and 20% of the schools have no air conditioning. But again, it's not like the buildings have been baking in 100-degree heat for day after day after day. We are getting the first real warm snap of the day, of the year, and school officials have decided we've got to knock off school at noon. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Really? I I mean, look, I I understand. You don't want to be that guy that says, oh, I I had to walk to school uphill both ways. But but let's be serious. This is... It, it's going to be, at worst, it's going to be a, a hot snap that lasts for a couple hours. Do you mean to tell me that any of the kids are going to be put in danger by staying in schools, which right now are not overheated, for the regular school day? When you release them early, what you end up doing is putting a huge burden on, like, the parents and their child care stuff. And by the way, what do you think the schools are going to be doing? What do you think the kids are going to be doing when they're released early? Well, they're going to be running the hot streets. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I mean, has it really come to this that where you are going to get a sudden couple hours of heat. You can't allow the kids to stay in school till till 3 o'clock or, or 3.30. I mean, really? And you wonder why kids are failing. You wonder why kids can't read. You wonder why kids can't do basic math. We're closing the schools. And I say alternatively, to those of you who say, oh, we should be shutting the schools, this is terrible. You can't expect kids to sit in a, in a classroom when it's 90 degrees outside, even if it's probably not going to be 90 degrees until after the kids would already be released. Then I guess my question is, if it's that bad, why even bother having school? Why drag everybody in, spend all that money, if you're going to knock off early, 855-616-1620, we discuss. Except at MPS, where school is getting out even a little bit sooner, if you haven't heard, because it's going to be warm this afternoon, and it's actually, you know, it wasn't warm this morning, but because it's going to be warm this afternoon, school is being called off because you know, heaven forbid we should spend a couple hours when it's 85 degrees outside. Um, not necessarily 85 degrees in the building, but let's just let's just have the afternoon off. Um, Jeff, this is one of our listeners in Las Vegas. If Vegas canceled school because it's hot outside, the kids would miss half the school year. 
Come on, Milwaukee. Well, I think there is an element of that. Jeff, by sending the kids home early just means that they'll have to go out and steal a car with air conditioning a little earlier than normal. Ouch. Well, I'm sure that's not necessarily the case, but, you know, come on. Jeff, in this day and age where every student gets a trophy for showing up, schools can't be responsible for making students uncomfortable. Literally, if one student even utters the word that they're feeling sick of the heat and the schools didn't do anything, we would be having a discussion of why the schools don't do anything when they're told that it could be hot. See, that's the other thing. It's... It could be hot. It hasn't, if we were talking about an extended heat streak, um, where, okay, it's been 95 degrees and you've got the, you've got a few schools at MPS that don't have any air conditioning at all and you haven't, you haven't, uh, done anything to cool it off. I mean, what, whatever happened to, you know, bringing a fan in? Whatever happened to like closing the windows so that you can keep some of the cool in? But no, no, no. We we can't we can't have the little darlings. You can't have them expect that somebody texts me that you they, they can't learn when they're melting. Oh, give me a break. I mean, give me a break. They can't learn when they're melting, Jeff. Most MPS schools do have air conditioning. Well, that, that's right. In one in one form or another, about 20% have air conditioning throughout. Uh, 63% have some air conditioning. There's only about 20% that don't have any air conditioning. But I guess my point on this whole thing is it's only a couple hours. I mean, it's have we now gotten to this point where we, we can't even sit in a classroom where we're a little bit where we're a little bit warm, and if it doesn't have air conditioning, oh, that's just going to be absolutely terrible. Let's talk to Kate. Kate, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I agree with you 100%. I just think that we have we are well on our way if we have not already become a soft society. These kids have missed enough school with COVID and all the all the trimmings of COVID, and I just think this is ridiculous. Well, and, and again, I, I understand that kids can't learn in, in an oven. And if we were talking about some extended sort of heat streak, stro, uh, streak and you had a situation where, oh, my gosh, the temperature in all these classrooms is 95 degrees and people can't pay attention, I, I get it. But this is, this is a couple hours at the start of what is going to be a very temporary streak. Let, let's just face this. Th- what was this? This was let's figure out a way to call school off. Let's figure out a way to get kids out early. Let's figure out a way to you know give some of the administrators a half day off and let's go get a head start on summer vacation let's just be honest that's what this is and some people will tell me hey you don't get anything done the last week of school anyways well that's fine if you don't then then that that's great then why do we bother even having school exactly no no thank if you don't get anything done the right if you don't get anything done the last week of school then then shame on us because we're doing a disservice to our kids well, and, and here, I mean, thanks. I mean, and, and if you want to even go one step farther with this, I mean, here's here's what's really going on. You might say, and I, I ask, why even bring the kids in if you're so worried about this? Well, well, here's the deal. You know, MPS gives free breakfasts and lunches. They brought the kids in so that you could feed them. We could give them breakfast. We could give them lunch, and, and then we're going to to send them them off. Well, okay, I, I guess if it's safe enough to bring them in to feed them breakfast and lunch, isn't it safe enough to say, okay, we're going to ask you to stay a couple more hours? 
hours to the end of the regular school day. And I guess my other question is, you know, it, it's supposed to be warm tomorrow as well. Is this the end of MPS of the school year? Are we not bringing back kids, you know, tomorrow? Is that going to be the deal as well? Because we can't expect people to go out in, in the heat. And I guess the other question I have is, where do you think the kids are, are really going to go? If, if they're not in the classroom, you just release them, you send them home, wonder how many of the kids, what percentage are going to homes that have air conditioning versus kids that don't have air conditioning, or they're going to play outside, or they, they might go over to their friend's house and hang out in homes that aren't air conditioned. I mean, it, wouldn't they be better to actually like keep them in schools and, and maybe you open a couple windows, or maybe you bring in a fan or two and you close the windows? And like I say, it's not like we have been in this long stretch of overpowering heat where the buildings are all heated up and you can't get cool it, it's still it's still only 85 right now now i understand it's supposed and it, it just hit that it was in the 60s earlier this morning so it's not like you've even had time for this oppressive heat to sink in but the idea i guess is that we can't have schools because well unless it's all fully air conditioned unless you've got the foam recliners and stuff you can't expect the kids to pay attention for a couple hours my guess is the kids would not in most cases would not have even noticed the heat until they probably got outside if you kept the windows closed and maybe brought in a couple fans but that's not what we do around here we we cancel class here is the reality mps is losing thousands of kids every year as the parents get frustrated with some of these decisions and make decisions and they call to, to move their kids to charter schools uh, to other forms of private schools etc that is not going to change till MPS figures out how to improve its educational quality. And look, I understand, maybe nothing gets done on the second last day of school. Maybe that's just ultimately the reality. But if the effect is, gee, it's going to be a little hot for a couple hours, we've got to close down school and send kids home. Well, you, you can't expect, you can't wonder why some of those parents who care about their kids being educated, why they just don't make the decision to say, you know what, we're... <laughs> We're, we're going to find a, a different school, and maybe that school is going to put a couple fans in if it's the worst-case scenario, and they're going to keep the kids in, and they're going to keep trying to teach them how to, I don't know, learn how to read and write and do math. I mean, there's no questions. Jeff, this is Wisconsin. It gets cold. It gets hot. It snows. It rains, and the wind blows. Does MPS think we live in a vacuum? Um, you know, no. Jeff, what about the impact of sending the children home? What does that have on working parents? Well, you know, that that's a very valid concern. Okay, so what 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 are you going to do? You you've now announced that you're closing school early. So you've got mom or dad or mom and dad who are working outside the home. You've got, I don't know, let's say you live in a place that's not air conditioned. So now, you know, the kid is going home to that closed up place. There's no supervision. I mean, you know, um, come on, come on. So that's what you have. Um, Let's see. This is the message I got from my child's elementary school. Um, Field day is on June 15th from 8.15 to 1 p.m. Please make sure students wear appropriate clothing to be outside and possibly get a little wet. Thank you. Yeah, that's um, that's a lot that goes there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. School is out for the summer, maybe. Now, interesting, one of our listeners sends me a thermometer 
um, their car thermometer, downtown Milwaukee, 73 degrees. Now, I, you know, you, you can argue how accurate that, but point is, it's, it's not even 95, and yet we're closing the schools. Somebody else says, you know, the ultimate irony is it's going to be a lot warmer tomorrow in the school buildings than it is today, and yet we're closing early. Yep, yep, we are, because we can't expect... I don't know, the educators, and we can't expect the little darlings to, I don't know, sit in a classroom when it's 80-some degrees outside. Jeff, how are those kids ever going to do jobs without air conditioning, construction, warehouse, working outside? Well, that's a very good question as well. I guess the answer is I, I don't think that they're going to be able to do these jobs. I guess now... You know, it always used to be, where are the different requirements? Now, apparently, you know, you, you can't you can't expect kids to sit in a classroom when it might be a little bit warm outside. We have to call off school. Well, I mean, why bother having school into the middle of June anyways? Because, you know, it does get warm from time to time. Summerfest is all about bringing you shows you'll brag about and moments that you just can't miss. More stages and picture-perfect spaces on the lakefront, local eats, drinks, shopping, and even an all-new children's area if you're up-and-coming little rockers. You can get your tickets at Summerfest.com or just be listening to my show all week for your chance to win a four-pack of tickets from WTMJ. And while you're out there, be sure to stop by and see us. We'll be broadcasting live every day from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. So what this means, sometime between now and the end of the show at 3 o'clock, I will give someone an opportunity to win a free four-pack of tickets to Summerfest. And again, we are going to have a huge presence at Summerfest, as we always do. Keep in mind, Summerfest is different this year. Instead of starting on a a Thursday and then running through the following Sunday with a Monday taken off, it's three weekends in a row, Thursday through Saturday. My show originates there from... uh, for all but the first day of Summerfest, because there's an early baseball game. But otherwise, I will be there and stop off and say hello. Okay, Jack Del Rio. If the name is familiar to you, chances are you are a sports fan. He's been an American. He's a football coach who's he's been around forever. He's he's pushing sixty years old. He's been um, an assistant football coach for a lot of teams. He was the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and he was there for about seven or eight years. He, he had a stint as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. He did that for two years. He was an ESPN commentator, and now he, he's back in football. He was hired by the Washington, well, they used to be the Redskins, but we can't call them the Redskins anymore. They're the Washington Commanders, and he was hired as their defensive coordinator in, in 2020. So he's the defensive head defensive coach for, for Washington. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Well, here is the deal. We are all... Or at least many of us are discussing the July the hearings about January sixth. You know, there was a second installment of the hearings. So here here is what Del Rio does. Um, on Monday, there's a guy from the Brookings Institution, which is this really uber left leaning think tank, and he he sends out a, a a tweet which is promoting a report that the, the January 6th committee was, was going to have. So he, he sends this out. Hey, we've got this report that's coming out. Del Rio decides to respond to this. Now, there's a fair question as to why you decide to respond to this, but he decides that he's going to respond to it. Now, he's a football coach, but he tweets 
back on his his Twitter account would this is what he says would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and destruction of personal property is never discussed, but this is. Question, 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 hashtag common sense. So, I mean, uh, he, what he appears to be saying is, okay, we've got all this attention that's being spent on what happened on January 6th. Why aren't people paying attention to, you know, all the rioting that occurred across the, the country? That, that's what I interpret him to do. All right, so this this response generates a very, very heated response from lots of people, including folks who say, well, well, how can you even say this? How can you possibly equate the riots that went down through the summer as part of like the social justice movement and the outgrowth of that? How can you even equate that with what happened on January 6th? So that's that's the, the argument and, that he gets in face of that tweet. So what happens then is after practice last Wednesday, the some reporter corners him and asks him about this. And, and it, why did you send that tweet out? And here's what he says. Really, let's get right down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things if we're going to talk about it? Why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say, I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about, we're going to make that a major deal. End quote. Let me read it again. Really, let's get, they say, okay, why did you send this tweet out? His response is, really, let's get down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things if we're going to talk about it? Why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say. I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about it. We're going to make that a major deal. Right, so that's that. That's what he says. All right. After that, the internet and the left go absolutely bananas. Um, the and the thing is, I've got a story here. Apparently, you have a number of groups, the NAACP, calling for him to be fired after he referred to what happened at January sixth as as a a dust up. So the president of the NAACP called for him to be fired. Um, you have a number of groups, like, for example, people associated with Black Lives Matter, who are saying this is terrible. He, he should be fired for saying this. How dare you refer to it as a dust-up? And the Washington commanders have just fined him $100,000 for, you know, what what he said. The coach says... Del Rio's statements were hurtful to members of the local community and did not reflect the views of the organization. So he's been fined $100,000. Okay, our, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I want to be real clear here. I, I, I think describing what happened on January 6th as a quote-unquote dust-up is... A pretty ignorant thing to say. All right. I, I just I, I think, you know, that's I, I just I'm sorry. I mean, if you watch the images and you watch what happened at the Capitol, 
whether you agree that it was a, a conspiracy to overthrow the government or or not, to describe it as a dust-up is, I, I think it's a very, very dumb thing to say. At the same time, his point was, gee, this incident is getting all this scrutiny, and, and why aren't we scrutinizing, you know, what happened with all the different riots and things? I don't care whether you agree with Del Rio or disagree with Del Rio. That is not the point of where I want to go with this. He expressed an opinion, and I will tell you, the opinion that he expressed in some way, shape, or form is the opinion that I am hearing on the text line and have heard from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you over the course of the last, I don't know, several months making precisely that point. Okay, it's fine to talk about January 6th, but why aren't we looking at all the riots and the, the things like that? So I, I, I don't, you don't have to agree with it or disagree with it. I guess my question is that they fine the guy $100,000 for expressing that particular opinion. Is that, is that fair? 855-616-1620, or is this just the cancel culture coming back in in a big way? How dare you describe this as a dust-up? Well, and again, I think that was a dumb thing to say. It, it wasn't a, a dust-up, but $100,000, and his big point is just, hey, I think we need to also, if we're going to do this, we also need to, to scrutinize what went on with the riots. Is that such an outlandish position that you deserve, agree or disagree with it, that you deserve to be fined $100,000 or people you know, calling for your job? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Look, I think it's fair to say that this assistant football coach, Jack Del Rio, who's pushing 60 years old, who's been around the NFL forever, his response to the the coverage of what was going on at the Capitol is to say, why aren't we also looking at all the riots that broke out last last summer? But then he says, well, okay, you get a dust up at the Capitol and this gets all this attention. Now, I I think it's... There's no way, shape, or form that you can describe what happened at the Capitol as, as a dust-up, all right? And I think, but at the same time, is he gets fined $100,000 by by the league. And what he is ultimately saying is, gee, I think we should be scrutinizing, you know, what happened last summer in the same vein that we're scrutinizing, you know, what happened on January 6th. But he gets fined $100,000. And I guess what I want to discuss with you is agree with him or disagree with him. It, it, it doesn't matter. Is what he said so beyond the pale, so outlandish, so absurd, so offensive that you find the guy $100,000 for expressing that opinion? And I bring this up because, like I say, I, I have in way, one way, shape, or form, and I get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tweets uh, a, a day and emails from you know those of you who listen to this program, and I appreciate it, and I, and, and that's great. I, I take it into account, and I appreciate the perspective. But what he said is what I'm hearing from all sorts of people. Have we gotten to this point in this country where you can't even express that alternative way of thinking and, and not just have people say, oh, I think that's a dumb thing to say, but you're, you're going to be fined $100,000 for having the audacity to express it. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Absolutely ludicrous. It is so excessive, it's beyond words. Yes, he was... Calling it a dust-up is ridiculous as well, but absolutely should be able to say, hey, 
What about what happened for months and months? Rioting, looting, taking over police precincts, burning down businesses? I mean, that happened for months and months and was, you know, looked the other way by Biden and Harris and other Democrats. He has absolutely, this is, the, you know, the capital of our nation. And yes, it is sensitive because it happened there. But we're, we're you know, one of the amendments, free, or one of the Bill of Rights, free speech. He's expressing his free speech. There's no way he should be fined for that. It just shows, again, the beho- you know, how the Democratic Party is beholden to racist groups like NAACP and Black Lives Matter. Well, see, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not going down that far because I'm not going to label the NAACP as a racist group or the Black Lives Matter organization as a racist group. I, I don't buy into that sort of stuff, but it is, I mean, there is this kind of double standard that that is out there to the point that, uh, and, and by the way, the First Amendment, free speech, it only says government shall do nothing to restrict, you know, the free speech. And paraphrasing that, you know, this isn't a government action. This is the Washington commander's employer. But again, it, it strikes me, is this, is, is this so outrageous? And is this so ridiculous? And is this so absurd? I mean, it's, it's not like he's coming out and saying, hey, I, I really, I love and respect those proud boys. I mean, that, it's not like that's what, what, what he said. He was just saying, hey, um, you know, isn't this just as bad as, as what happened? And again, you can agree with him. You can disagree with him. That's not the point. But now in our society, you can't even express that alternative point of view without getting yourself fined $100,000 by your employer. Let's talk to Steve in Milwaukee. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Yeah, I don't think what he said was wrong, but it's no more absurd than the Democrats saying that these people are trying to overthrow the government. If I, from things I read, the employees there opened the doors in most cases and let these people in. Most of the people walked in and didn't do damage. There were a bunch of knuckleheads that did do it. So it's two mm-hmm. sides of the spectrum as far as what each side is trying to call it. Mm-hmm. It's somewhere in the middle. And to find someone, that's the cancel culture. How dare you talk about our problems or the other problem? We'll shut you down, and I don't think it's fair that the uh, Washington team find him that kind of money because he didn't criticize anybody. He just, like you said, brought up the question, how come we're not looking at the other side of the picture? Thanks, Circle. Well, again, that, that's it, but this is apparently you, – you can't – you can't even, in today's day and age, you can't even apparently question that, that conventional wisdom without, you know, having people just be absolutely all up in arms. I mean, the NAACP was, they, they were calling to have this guy fired. And I, I was sitting there thinking, okay, what did, what did he really say? Now, I, I understand, I, he, I would never describe what happened on January 6th as a dust up. I think that was a dumb thing to say. But, all right, people say dumb things all the time, and you don't have people demanding that they, they lose their job for it. Otherwise, you'd probably at one point in time or another, we'd all be out of out of work. But it is, it's kind of like the self-righteousness. How, how dare you offer a, a different narrative? How dare you suggest that, okay, what the conventional wisdom might be, what the politically correct way of viewing things, what the woke view of a particular thing might be, how dare you suggest that maybe we should look at something else. And again, I don't care whether you agree with Del Rio or or not. That's not the point here. I guess what struck me about this story is that 
the comments that I don't want to say innocuous, but comments that I, I think a lot of people share in one way, shape, or form, which is okay. What we're you know we're scrutinizing January six. Shouldn't we also be scrutinizing these other stuff? And why aren't we scrutinizing some of this other stuff? And why aren't we scrutinizing whether there was conspiracies here or things like that? The idea that even just broaching that is so so concerning that you get fined a hundred thousand bucks. So one. Once again, free speech is not free, and the Washington commanders can do what they want, and he can sue them or pay the money or resign. I I get it, but it does make you wonder, what can you say nowadays, what can you not say, and where is that line, and is it possible to even know what that line is, because it seems like that line moves all the time. And, you know, people better be careful about this because you, you might say, oh, I can't believe that Jack Del Rio said that. And yeah, and he deserves to he deserves to, you know, get the hammer dropped on him. Well, OK, be careful because it, it might be you next time that offers an opinion that is slightly different than the conventional wisdom or whatever. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, in a trick box. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, it is certainly not shaping up to be the summer of love around here. Um, I, I follow the Milwaukee Police Department has has crime statistics. I talk about this a lot. It's and so you can find you can follow year to date numbers of of crimes that have been committed in various categories. Last year, as we've talked about, in the city of Milwaukee, was an all time record for homicides, 193, and we are on pace, unfortunately, to not only break that record this year, but to completely and totally shatter the record. The last year at this time. In what was an all-time record for homicides, there were 74 in the city of Milwaukee, which is an unthinkably large number. Year-to-date, currently, 94. 20 more homicides. That's up like 35%. And I believe that 94 is a lagging indicator. I think... I don't think it incorporates the, the most recent homicides, of which... Well, it's almost impossible to keep track, but 56-year-old guy was killed... On June 13th, um, in the morning, when somebody fired shots into his home near 37th and Congress, gunfire about 4 o'clock a.m., bullet holes through the front door. So you have a situation where, uh, again, you know, who knows exactly, you know, what happened or what the reason was, but you have, you know, somebody in their house is shot through the door, and then keeping up a trend that has been scary and disturbing more and more young people that are dying as well. Milwaukee police investigating a fatal shooting that occurred last evening, 9.35 p.m., near 81st and Villard Avenue. The victim in this case was a 14-year-old girl who sustained fatal gunshot wounds, was pronounced dead at the scene. We're, we're still, we're not getting details about this, but, you know, yet again, you have another situation where you, you have children that in this case are, are being are being murdered. This was the 100th homicide in Milwaukee County for the, the year, but the vast majority of homicides that occur in Milwaukee County occur in the city of Milwaukee. So right now we are at at least 94, and you're... 
You're, you're having all sorts of people, whether it's a guy in his home at 4 o'clock in the morning or a 14-year-old girl out on the mean streets of the city at uh, 9.35 at night, you know, people dying right and left. And, and all the messages that are out there about, hey, you know, we need to get violence under control, they, they apparently aren't hitting the people that need to be hit with this particular message. That is that you you can't just indiscriminately shoot things up. One of the things I continue to to say, and we don't know, they haven't arrested anybody in connection with either one of these shootings, but when they do, my guess is it will not be someone or it will, it will not be individuals who for whom it is their first time at the legal justice rodeo, which is what I think we need to be focusing on every time you see one of these these stories about a murder or about a shooting or about a carjacking or a crime of violence. I think the start needs to be, okay, what was the person's prior record? Why was it that they were out on the street? If they're a felon, how was it that they got the gun that they then used to commit the crime? And what had they done before? And I think that's got to be the start of dealing with the violence. I appreciate that there's all sorts of, you know, questions that you ask about, okay, why are 12 and 13 year olds going out and stealing as many cars as they want? Other than the fact that they can, because when most of us grew up, we, we knew some sense of right and wrong. And and maybe it's the fact that there's no parental structure. Maybe it's the fact that the kids are running wild. Maybe it's the fact that the kids have no fear of consequences and no respect for anything. Maybe it's a combination of all those things. And you know, I, I think it, it's fair to say we got to work on that. But it starts with recognizing that once people commit crimes, you've got to hold them accountable. And we don't do anybody a favor by taking the kid that's stolen, you know, 14 cars and just putting them back out on the street to feel to steal a 15th. We're not doing the kid a favor and we're not doing the pub, the general public, the people whose cars are getting stolen. We're not give, doing them a favor. And when you have people who have shown a proclivity to commit crimes with firearms and they're not legally allowed to possess firearms, when they get caught with guns, they need to go back to prison. And if that means we've got to build more prisons, then we've got to build more prisons. But at some point in time, we, we've got to get this segment of the population that just has no respect for anything and is prone to engage in violence. We've got to get them off the streets. And, and we've got to protect the rest of us. Because if we don't, you're going to have more stories about 14-year-old girls dying, you know, in a hail of bullets or being shot, you know, at 930 on a Monday night. For goodness sakes, we need to wake up. And I appreciate everybody's out there preaching about, well, we've got to stop the violence. We all agree with that. But let's come up with some concrete measures to do it. And for me, it starts with holding the people that commit crimes accountable, fast-tracking their trials. I believe people are entitled to fast fair fair and fast trials, but let's get them into the criminal justice system. Let's get them through. If they're guilty, let's send them off to prison so either we can be protected or they can be rehabilitated or maybe a little bit of both. All right. When we come back, this is the politics hour on the program, and we're going to talk about Democrats and Republicans in two separate conversations. Stick around. I guarantee we will stir the pot once again. WTMJ is packing its bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin's radio station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home, the avenue. 
vibrant, exciting. Plus, you'll be able to come by and see us. WTMJ's Move to the Avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. So I come to work this this morning, and I come in. I had to be here a little bit earlier than I normally do because we were doing an advertiser interview, and there, there were these two giant moving trucks, like Coakley Brothers moving trucks that were there, and I had to kind of navigate around them to get through the gate, and apparently we have, I did not know this, but apparently we've had a lot of stuff for the downtown offices that have been delivered here and was sitting in pallets and stuff and it was now moving downtown. So I haven't been there in, um, I, I have not been there for, gosh, probably two years. I was there at the very beginning when they started talking about it. So haven't seen what it's going to look like. I've seen some of the drawings, but I'm sure it will be, I'm sure it'll be spectacular. I, I know some of the people that are putting together the move and whenever our our facilities person, Kelly, whenever she gets involved, you know, it's going to be extremely spectacular. And uh, for people who ask about the timing of the move, um, our offices, our office staff and stuff, they, they think they might be in a position to move by the end of this month or maybe sometime next month. The studios themselves, where I work, um, that's that's not going to move till probably the fall, I would expect, at some point in time. All right. This is our polit. We're going to talk about politics for the next 45 minutes or so. So if you don't want to hear about it, well, you can check out. You can come back. And we're going to talk about it from two different perspectives. Um, First of all, the State of the Union. I'm looking at the most recent round of polls for Joe Biden. And they're brutal. Um, His approval ratings are lower than Trump's were at the same time in in. The comparable times in, in the presidency and, and these numbers i mean they're they're clearly jimmy carter type of numbers let me this let me just give you the approval polls a handful of them from the just the last week uh rasmussen reports which tends to be a republican leaning poll 38 percent approve of the job biden has done 61 percent disapprove he's underwater by 23 points the ibd poll and that's investors business daily 37% approve, 49% disapprove. That's underwater by 12. NPR, PBS, Marist poll, 39% approve, uh, disapproval rate 52%. That's underwater by 13 points. Quinnipiac, um, I'm just giving you the polls from the last week, approve 35%, disapprove 56%. Ouch, that's underwater by 21 uh, 21 points. The Biden job approval in the Reuters-Ipsos poll, approved 41, disapproved 56. That's underwater by 15. Politico, morning consult poll, approved 39, disapproved 58. That's underwater by 19 points. Um, Let's see, the, the high water mark in these polls in the last week um, produced by... See, the high water mark would be the Economist poll, approve 43, disapprove 51, which has him uh, underwater by eight points. But but you get the idea. Whether it's 15 points or 12 points or 23 points, uh, th- there is a consistency. And I understand some people just don't believe polls at all. For me, I, I think once you see all these polls saying the same sort of thing, it, it tells you that, that Biden... Biden is in trouble, at least as far as the uh, con- belief that people have that he, he can effectively run the country. They just don't prove in the job he's doing. And it's not surprising if you look at all the different things that have been going on. Is it possible for somebody, 
you know, the thing that's going in Biden's favor is he's only been in office for, you know, a year and a half. Is it possible that things can turn around, that you can come back from these numbers? Yeah, I guess it's possible. But the other reality is it, it can go it can easily go the other way. And given, as we'll talk about in the two o'clock hour, the fact that the, the stock market continues to just crater, the fact that inflation is through the roof and nobody seems to have any ideas as to when it's going to get better, certainly not in the near future, and all the other problems that are going on, you you wonder, you know, is, is this something that can be turned around? So we have the in, the midterm elections that are coming up in November. But there's a lot of people who are looking past the midterm elections, and they're saying, okay, where do we go from here? And the New York Times, of all people, places, has a uh, big story on this. Should Biden run in 2024? Democratic whispers of no start to rise. In interviews, dozens of frustrated Democratic officials, members of Congress, and voters expressed doubts about the president's ability to rescue his reeling party and take the fight to the Republicans. Midway through the 2022 primary season, many Democratic lawmakers and party officials are venting their frustration with President Biden's struggle to advance the bulk of his agenda, doubting his ability to rescue the party from a predicted midterm trouncing and increasingly view him as an anchor that should be cut loose in 2024. That is the New York Times. All right. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that a fair description? Is Joe Biden an anchor that should be cut loose? Would you like to see Biden run again, or is it time to figure out what the future is going to look like from the Democrat side of the aisle? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. I just read some of the poll numbers for the last week, and just when you ask if if the American people approve of the job Joe Biden is doing, the numbers are brutal. I mean, they're just absolutely brutal. They're actually an approval rating much lower than Donald Trump's at the same time in, in his presidency. So this is raising the question, a lot of Democrats are saying, is it time to move on from Biden? I guess it depends on your perspective. I just don't see any way he gets reelected. I, I just don't. I think, in my opinion, first of all, I think he's too old, and that's I, I see this across the board. I'm I'm waiting for a younger generation of leaders to to come up. Number one, I think he's too old. But secondly, I mean this this presidency is Jimmy Carter right now. It, it's Jimmy Carter redo, and I just think from the Democrat perspective, you got to figure out what the future of the party is. Let's talk to Mark. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for sure. taking my call. What do you think? I say let him run, but I'm a little biased on that, but I also say let's not let Mr. Trump run again either. Uh, I think Joe's past his prime, and but I think he's beatable, and that's what uh, I would prefer at this point. But we need to find a better candidate on our side, also. Well, and thanks to call. You know, I mean, that part of the the ultimate irony of this is that if if you look at, at the, the job Trump was doing versus the job Biden was doing, and, and you ask yourself the question, is the country in better shape? I mean, it was clearly, I, I think, in better shape under Donald Trump, whether it was the economy. 
Now you got to factor in COVID, but you know we're we're past COVID. But was it the economy? You know, you didn't have the war in Ukraine. I mean, I I don't know. Would Putin have invaded Ukraine if Biden was if Trump was still the president? Don't know. Don't don't know. I mean, we know he he didn't. We know he decided to invade Ukraine when Biden was president, just like he invaded Crimea when Obama was president. I, I don't know. Unfortunately for Donald Trump, his behavior after November sixth leading up to and in his refusal to to this day to accept the results of the election and then leading up to all his behavior that I think was despicable you know leading into January 6th to me that that's rendered him just completely and totally unelectable it would have been interesting if he could have graciously accepted the loss and then just sat back and, and watched you know what's happened he'd be in I think a much stronger position but I think you have a lot of democrats who are you know, now saying, look, we, you know, th- this is this is not a winning solution. Jeff, I think Joe Biden is worse than Jimmy Carter. Well, you know, time time will tell. Jeff, I'd love a better Democrat, but I don't think there really is anybody better. Well, that's going to be the question. Jeff, from a Republican standpoint, the road to the White House will be much easier for the party if he bails out. It'll open up the field and make things much harder. Um, that's the question. You know, who is the bench going to be? One of the rumors that's floating around is that Michelle Obama is toying with the idea of getting into <laughs> politics. Um, Jeff, let me preface this by saying I think Biden is a terrible president. However, for him to declare now that he won't run in 24, it would essentially make him a lame duck leader, removing all credibility for him within both political parties and our friends and enemies abroad. Um, well, this is no time for him to look even weaker. Well, I think he's going to be under all sorts of pressure to, you know, make a decision and make a decision soon, especially, especially if the midterms in this November go like a lot of people are predicting them to do, where you have, you know, um, and what traditionally happens in midterms as well, where the party in power takes a shellacking. So, Melissa, what do you think are the chances of this marriage surviving? All right. Uh, a husband accused his wife of being unfaithful. This is on JS Online. Mm-hmm. After she salted popcorn against his wishes, Town of Brookfield police responded to a call at 9:31 p.m. on May 27th at the Marcus Majestic Cinema on Springdale Road for. <laughs> I can, can imagine you're the cops. You're getting this call. We're going right. to the theater. Yeah. Okay. For a domestic situation that started with the snack and might be headed towards marital disruption. The wife told officers her husband was angry. She put salt on their movie popcorn. She took the keys to the car because she felt unsafe letting him drive while angry. The wife explained she purchased popcorn and her husband told her not to salt it, then walked away. Because she bought the popcorn, she decided to put salt on it. Upon finding out the popcorn was salted, the man told his wife their marriage was over, (laughs) according to the report. He said she was unfaithful and does things behind her back. But apparently the trigger was the popcorn. So, yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot more going on there than just that popcorn. The report says the husband then refused to watch the movie. All right, you put salt on my popcorn, I'm leaving. The wife purchased the movie tickets and still wanted to see the movie without her husband. Once the movie was done, she found him and would not let him drive. She told police he drives too fast when he was angry. Because his wife had the keys, the husband refused to get in the car, which made the wife worry about how he would get home if he did not leave with her. The wife confirmed nothing physical happened, and her husband didn't threaten her in any way. 
She was also not scared he would harm her. The wife wouldn't give the police her husband's information, but just wanted to know what she should do. The police told her her husband was an adult and could make his own decisions. If he did not want to leave with her, he could find his own way home. The wife said she would ask him one last time to leave with her. Otherwise, she would leave without him. So it's interesting to me that she still cared about his well-being, despite, you know, him kind of being outside the theater and everything. And how was he going to get home? Wouldn't you just take off? Yeah, or or maybe it's that if she leaves him at the movie theater, then he's going to come home oh. and be even more angry. I don't, <laughs> I I don't know. I'm, I, I'm mm. trying to salted popcorn that did well, it. Well, that's that's it. Now, okay, so Fran and I here here's here's the deal. She's okay with the popcorn salt, but and it, it's basically a health thing for me. She doesn't think I should have butter on the popcorn, so she she's looking out for me. Now I love the buttered popcorn, but I've decided as long as I can have the salt, I'll, I'll give up. I'll, I'll give up the butter. But at the same time, I, I'm I'm going to divorce you because you put salt <laughs> on the popcorn. I mean, really? Well, with this couple, it was more about the be the being unfaithful. Did he mean because she went behind his back and put the salt on the popcorn and the. I, I, have, don't, I don't I get have, that. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> he said she was unfaithful and does things behind his back. <laughs> it's, it's, All right. right, right. When, when I think about inf- infidelity, I don't think about, hey, honey, I told you don't put salt on the popcorn, and you put the salt on the popcorn. But that's just me. Yeah, is that exactly. really infidelity? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah. What do you, th- you think if we check back with this couple a couple years from now, we're going to find them attending movies together? I would say no. I think yeah, that that's, uh, you are correct. When we come back, all right, we talked about the, the failing Biden administration in the last segment. Let's focus on the other side of the aisle, but a little closer to home. Stick around. Okay, so we, we talked about Joe Biden and a lot of people in the Democratic Party thinking it's it's time to move on, whatever the timing is. Let, let me just say this. I will, I will be shocked if he is the Democrat. I, I will be shocked if he is nominated for a second term. I, I just, I don't, for a variety of reasons, in, including the fact that, you know, the, these poll numbers, and you can dismiss the polls, but you, you wonder, you know, how electable could he possibly be? All right. So let's let's flip the script and let's talk about let's talk about the U.S. Senate race here in the U.S. governor, the governor's race in Wisconsin. Tony Evers, I believe, is a very, very vulnerable um, incumbent governor. And you have a number of candidates who are challenging him for for the race the the three most significant candidates are former lieutenant governor rebecca clayfish um who is i think you know uh she's been she's been running for quite a while uh, uh kevin nicholson who's run for office before and he's you know been involved in a couple conservative activist groups and things like that and he's been running very hard and, and tim michaels who is the late entry into the race, and I think everybody knows he's uh, the the business guy from you know the, the Fond du Lac sort of area, whose family is part of Michael's Construction Company, and he ran for office in 2004, I believe, but has been kind of behind the scenes in Republican Party politics since then. He's the late entrant into the race, but he's. A wealthy guy, and there's nothing wrong with that, and he's spending a lot of that wealth, and he's running lots of radio ads, and he's running lots of TV ads, and I think there's a number of people who believe that it's it's now kind of become, and I don't mean to disparage Kevin Nicholson, who I think is a nice guy, and I'm not sure that this is the right race for him, but I think a lot of people are perceiving that the, the two front runners are Rebecca Clayfish and, and Tim Michaels.
And as I always tell people, there's, at least to my way of, of seeing things, on the issues, I don't really think there's much, if any, difference between Rebecca Clayfish and, and Tim Michaels. I, I think they're both pretty much in, in line. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe there is something they disagree on, but I, I'm not sure you can find it. So the, the choice in many respects as to who you vote for is who do you think is the most electable? Maybe it, it's temperament. Who do you think, um, again, who who speaks to you more? But it's more a matter of style, at least in my opinion, than, than substance. Because I think if I – and I will – Spend some time. I, I've made a decision, at least so far, not to have the gubernatorial candidates on. But as we get closer to the election, sometime in July, I'm going to commit like an hour uh, a piece and invite the gubernatorial candidates that I think have the greatest chance of winning, and we'll have them in the studio, and we'll we'll do like a one-on-one. I, I will do that at some point in time as we get closer to the election, and, and maybe we'll find some material difference between them. But I, I really don't think that that's that's there. So people are going to have to be deciding what, why am I going to vote for this candidate over that candidate? And one of the distinctions that that does separate these candidates is the endorsement of Donald Trump. All the candidates who were running for governor went, went down, met with Donald Trump. They, they kissed his ring. And Donald Trump has decided to endorse Tim Michaels. And the Michaels campaign has, I mean, they, at least in a number of the, the radio ads I've heard and in some of the TV ads I've seen, he, he does include that endorsement, that he's been endorsed by, you know, Donald Trump. So it's something that they are, in fact, trumpeting. No pun intended. There's an interesting piece in, in Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the area websites, and it's written by John Torinas, who is a... Um, long-time Republican operative and a, a business leader from the, the West Bend area. And, you know, the, the piece is entitled, Will Trump Backing Hurt Tim Michaels? Republican could have been a strong mainstream candidate. However, Trump's backing connects him to a cult. And this is what Torinas writes. Under the heading, quote, be careful what you wish for, Donald Trump's endorsement of Tim Michaels for the Republican nomination for governor of Wisconsin may prove to be the kiss of death in the general elections this fall if Michaels wins the nomination. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let us tee this up. Is the endorsement of Donald Trump, and there's, in, in this in the Wisconsin's governor's race, as near as I can tell, all the candidates wanted to be endorsed by Trump. Is this endorsement a net positive or a net negative? Does it make you more likely to vote for Tim Michaels either in the primary and in the general election or less likely? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, my question is, is the endorsement of Tim Michaels by Donald Trump, is that going to be ultimately a negative or a positive? Now, in a number of the ads that Tim Michaels runs, he, he makes reference to it. And, of course, as you might expect, our texters all over the map. Jeff, I think it's a negative, but I'm also wondering if Michaels is counting on enough Trump supporters to help win him win the primary and then plans to downplay the endorsement in future ads against Evers 
in November. Jeff, I am very much more likely to not vote for anyone that Trump endorsed. Jeff's Trump endorsement of Michaels definitely has made Michael Michaels less desirable for me as a candidate. I want uh, Trump to go away. He wants the Republican Party to be his boys club, and he's ruining the Republican Party party. Jeff, when Michaels entered the race, I thought I might vote for the guy. He seemed to support the police and was different from the other conservative candidates. Then he looked for and got Trump's endorsement. I have to look for someone else that is signed frustrated. Jeff, it makes it less likely that I will vote for Tim Michaels. I haven't decided my vote yet, and he seems like a decent candidate, but I'm a never-Trump voter, and it makes me question his intelligence aligning with Trump. It will help in the primary, but I think it will be a disadvantage um okay jeff why do you only read anti-trump texts now i'm just going through my list of texts right now as where they came in jeff i think trump is irrelevant and doesn't affect my decision either way if he was such a nut job i might give more credence to his opinion i think he needs to go away quietly um jeff the guy that wrote the article, Torinus, is a country club rhino who opposed Glenn Grothman, one of the best conservatives we have. I think he has an agenda. Well, I, it, it, like, it, don't shoot the messenger. I'm, I'm intrigued by this whole question of does this endorsement help or does the endorsement hurt? Jeff, I think it was not a good idea to connect with Trump, but I will still vote for Michaels because we have to get rid of Evers. Jeff, it makes me more likely to vote for him, and I think it makes him less likely to win the general election. Jeff, for me, I was considering Tim Michaels. I'm going to go back to Clayfish because of that, although I think she sounds sort of Trumpy as well. Jeff, um, it's a negative. I liked him before I saw he got this endorsement. Now I've decided that I will not be voting for him. Jeff, I supported Trump in 2016 and 2020, but no longer, nor will I support candidates that Trump supports. He need that would be Trump, needs to go away. Jeff, I'm 200% on board with Michaels. I think he has the best chance to beat Evers. Um, Jeff, my preference would be for a candidate who has not sought Trump's endorsement. That being said, I think I'm going to go with Clayfish. So as you can see, people are, are all over the map. My take on this I think in the primary election, the endorsement of Donald Trump is probably, in the primary, it's probably a a net plus among voters because Donald Trump still has a a, a loyal following of, of voters. I don't know how large that is, but I think it's probably a net plus in the primary election. But I, I actually, I, I think... I think it's probably a closer call than some people think. So I, I think it helps him in the primary, in the general election. You know, once you get the nomination, look, here, here's here, here's my advice to anybody who wins a, a Republican primary. The, the strategy is laid out. This isn't, you know, this this isn't too hard. The strategy was laid out by um, the, the now governor of Virginia who, uh, okay, he once he got the nomination, he made a conscious effort to try to make sure the Trump supporters were included in his bigger tent. But he didn't make the race about like Donald Trump. You know, the biggest mistake that anybody, in my opinion, in Wisconsin who's running for governor can make is to let yourself get sucked into that this entire old oh, 2020 election was stolen and things like that. That's not 
what wins the election. What win, and I, whenever I say that, I always hear from some people, don't you realize that we have to expose all the election fraud and stuff like that? Look, the, the, the bottom line is if you want to change election laws in Wisconsin, if you want to clear up whether you can have drop boxes, if you want to clear up questions about whether things like democracy in the park, quote unquote, are, are legal, what you need to do is you need to change the laws. And you're not going to do that unless you have either a Republican legislature and a Republican governor or a Democratic legislature and a Democratic governor. That's just kind of the reality of this. So if you want to have changes, that's what you need to do. But I continue to believe for the vast majority of Wisconsinites on both the left and the right, the issues that are going to be driving them to the polls are the issues that we talk about on a regular basis on this show, which are, you know, gas is $5.20 a, a gallon, and it's probably going up. Uh, the inflation rate is over 8%. Crime in the streets is absolutely out of control. And, you know, you, you get... Those issues, they're pocketbook issues, they're safety issues, there's other issues as well. And I I understand that some people want to make it about abortion. Okay, well, I understand that's some people's voting issue, but that's not what's going to move the needle when it comes to this election in 2022. So whichever candidate gets the nomination, that, that candidate, I think, better be focusing, regardless of whether Donald Trump has endorsed you or not, that Republican candidate better be laser-focused on the issues that I think are going to bring people to the polls. And if they let themselves get sidetracked with some of this collateral stuff that's out there, I, I think you know they do themselves a huge disservice. I think the bottom line is for most Republican voters, you're going to have to decide who is the most electable candidate? And I think that's what's going to drive him to the polls. Just like if we double back to what we talked about in the last half hour of the program, I think, you know, the Democrats are going to have to make a real tough decision shortly after the November midterms about whether or not there's any possibility that Joe Biden can be reelected as president in 2024. And if the decision and the answer to that question is no, which I think it's probably going to be, then, you know, the, the Democrats have to to start the process of moving on and figuring out who's going to be the face of their party. For Republicans, it's a more, at least in Wisconsin, it's a more immediate concern because you've got the governor's race in November of this year. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, Zeke in Oak Creek says, feel free to tell people it's okay to offer your mail carrier a bottle of water. Oh, that's a good idea. Do, do you know who your mail carrier is? Do you ever interact I, with them? I you're, do. You're... I don't know the, their name or anything, but I have. I've seen them and, you know, waved and said hi. Our regular mail carrier, and by regular, I mean it's like he, he does, I think, four of the six days. Exactly, yes. We, you know, um, nicest guy in the mm. world, and my dog loves him. So this is Aww. when when she sees, and, and he loves her. Yeah. So what happens is, if people get their mail delivered 10 minutes later, it's because it's, what happens is if he's got time, and, you know, like, Sasha will see the mail truck, so we'll we'll take her out, and she'll run up, and if he's got time, he gets out of the mail truck and pets her Aww, and stuff. So, so it's Right, I mean, you hear all these yeah. like horror stories about like the the people the dog bite, bit no, the leg. Of no, the no, no, no. They, they get along. So Sasha is always very excited about that. Okay, now I've got a very serious topic, but I want to I want to lead into it in this fashion. The, some birthdays are more significant than than others. Um, as you think back, 
and I've had more birthdays than you have had. But I mean, is there is there like a particular birthday, a particular age that that you know really sticks in your mind? Well, I know it's hard to believe, but uh, three years ago I had my fortieth birthday. Fortieth, okay. So that was a big one. Yeah, right. it's like, wow. You know, thirty and forty, you're kind of heading into new decades. You feel like. You know, you're in, you're at a different stage in your life. So yeah, those are big ones. It, it's the zero year it birthday. It is the zero birthday. I, yeah. I, I I get it. Um, for me, it was thirty. I had a tough time mm-hmm. with thirty, and I'm not. I, I was working for the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time, and back then, I think it's different now. The FBI had this rule, and I'd work with FBI, but you you couldn't join after thirty. I mean, they. Now I think it it might have changed, but the idea was that they have a, they had a mandatory retirement at like fifty five, and so the idea was you could get in, and then you could you'd be out at fifty five. You get your twenty five years in. I never wanted to be an FBI agent, but the fact that I couldn't, couldn't be anymore. an FBI agent, it, it it bothered me, and I I had I had my appendix out. It was just all sorts of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but it, but it, it's those zero year birthdays mm-hmm. that tend to be significant, and then there's a couple others. I guess you build in like when eighteen and twenty one, and maybe sixty five and stuff like that. But for you, it was a zero year. It, birthday. it was a forty was. I mean, it was good, but it was just like wow, I'm forty. Because you know, when you're younger, you think forty's old. So then once you're forty, <laughs> you don't think it's old anymore. Yeah, you feel so young. I, I got some news for you. It gets worse. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Except for a few aches and pains here and there, but yeah, I get I got news for you. Yeah. It gets worse. Okay, all right. That was my point. Okay, so it's a zero year, and so that's that's how it is with birthdays. That's how it is with all. A lot of stuff in life. It, it's zero. It, it's zero stuff. You know, round numbers. Now, a date to remember is November twenty fifth of twenty twenty. November twenty fifth of twenty twenty. Why do I bring that up? Because speaking of round numbers, that was when the Dow Jones Industrial Average first hit thirty thousand. And, you know, it's been up and up and up since then. And I, I think, you know, at one point in time, it was over 35,000. I bring that up because it is entirely possible, given the carnage that has been going on in the stock market, that we will soon finish below 30,000. Um, the Dow has just been down big. I mean, the last couple of days, just monster losses and you know, billions of dollars in wealth just disappearing. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial today is down almost 300 points, which is good only because the last few days it's been down 800. So it's not down as much. But uh, the Dow Jones Industrials right now is 30,233. So at this rate, if you know, and we have another day tomorrow, like we did we did today, without even talking about how awful it's been over the last uh, couple weeks. You know, it's going to be below thirty thousand. Same thing is is true with the Nasdaq. The Nasdaq down huge. Just to give you an idea, um, let's see the Nasdaq uh, the Nasdaq Composite. All right, uh, a year ago. 16,212. Today, it's like 10,700. So it's down um, just 6,000 points. Um, And right now, this is the 52-week low. The Dow Jones Industrial, 52-week high. I was wrong. I I said it's 35,000. Actually, the high was 36,952. And now... 
Um, it's down almost to 30,000. Year to date, the Dow Jones Industrials is down 16 points. One year percentage change, it's down 12 points. And again, nobody seems to know when this is going to when this is going to change, but oh, now it's down over 300 points. Um, but for people who have money invested in the stock market, whether individually or the way most of us have money in the stock market, it's, it's through our, our 401ks or our IRAs or whatever. And it's, it's the nest egg. It's the money that you're saving for retirement or you're saving to you know send your kids to college or, or things like that. And it's been an absolute bloodbath. There's no other way to describe it since the, certainly since the beginning of the year. Now markets go up, markets go down, and, you know, historically, over time, yes, markets tend to go up. But that doesn't make it any easier when you see the type of bloodbath that has been going on in the stock market that doesn't appear to really have 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 a bottom at this point in time. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand there are people who say, well, you just have to be patient. You can't pay attention to, you know, the daily swings in the market. And that's all that's all well and good. And it might be good advice, but I don't think it reflects the way most people, especially people who are either in retirement or planning on being in retirement, oh, in the next 10 or 15 years, look at it when you're saying, okay, I, I thought this is how much I had, and this is how much I thought I was going to have when we projected out at retirement, and now I see that I've got a lot less, and I might have a lot more less when as time goes on. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let me take a temperature of your feeling. We've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got gas prices that are through the roof. And that's the whipsaw here, too, because prices are going through the roof. You know, gas is over $5 a gallon and probably will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, groceries are going up. If you want to go on a trip and book a plane ticket, prices are through the roof. And at the same time, nest eggs are going down and down and down. So how concerned are you? about the economy um, on a scale of one to 10. If one is, hey, it's no big deal. This is just a cycle. The market was overvalued. What do I care if I've lost 20% of my nest egg versus 10 being red flashing flags, uh, boom, boom, boom. I've, I've got the sirens going on. I'm in full freak out mode. But the problem is there's nowhere to go. I, I, there's nothing you can do to make this stop. So where are you on a scale of 1 to 10? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. The amount of wealth, now admittedly paper wealth, but the amount of wealth that is being lost in the stock market, your 401k, your IRA, is just staggering. Um, Dow Jones Industrials, after day, after day, after day of, of huge losses, well, looking like that way again. Um, bottom starting to fall out. Today it's down, right now, 356 points. Uh, the NASDAQ down 72 points. Now, that only looks good in comparison to the huge drops that you, you've had. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrials crossed 30,000. To give you perspective, for the first time in November, November 25th of 2020, um, right now it's at 30,167. And if, if it keeps up this pace, it will, it'll go below 30,000, if not today, in the next day or so. And nobody seems to know where the bottom is. So, 
you, you've got, you know, stock markets are across the board in what they would call a bear market, which is down 20% or more from their, their highs. And just, like I say, the amount of wealth that is going up in smoke, paper wealth, is, is just staggering. So how freaked out are you? Mike in Fond du Lac. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Nice talking to you. Thanks for calling. What do you think? Well, I think I think if if we if we look back to to two thousand eight compared to now, the financial crisis. Yep. Because our, our our financial crisis, right? So we we know exactly where the inflation came from, and and the energy energy crisis is coming from. So if we look at that, and if we if you're if you're working and our, our wages are up, we have 11 million jobs on Indeed available. I think that's really going to help in the recession that they're probably going to announce coming up here. Um, that being said, if you can right now, if you are 50 years old and younger, you should be putting as much into the markets right now as you can. Um, and, and I say that because if you go back in history and look at all of the recessions, the corrections, the market has come back stronger, and it's going to be no different this time. It hurts looking at your statements, that's for sure. But it, it, it will come back, and it will come back strong. And if you are 62, how do you feel about that? <laughs> it's tough. That, that's, you know, that's really, really hard. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, it, it is. And, and I, I feel sorry for those, you know, the, 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 the older people. Uh, but there again, um, we don't know how long it's going to last. And, and the, there's panic right now in the markets. There's panic in, in inflation. And, and there, there should be, right? There, there should be. But the, remember this, the, the markets always come back sooner than the economy does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and if, if, if you, if you look at it, a lot of people, a lot of people, it, when they, once they cash out in their 401ks and their Roth IRAs and, you know, and go into cash, the time they come back in, they, they, they miss 20 to yeah. 30% of the upside. Yeah. No, thanks. No, you're right. No, that, that's it. There's just no word. And thanks for calling, Mike. No, I, again, that, that's what they always say about trying to time the market. And if you, you know, you pull out all your money and then, if you look at a lot of that growth that Mike was talking about, it, it typically comes on, on a hand, relative handful of days where there's a huge spike. And if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're out of it, you end up missing those days. doesn't make it any easier. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I'm 62, getting close to retiring. I'm a 9 on your scale of 1 to 10. I think we're headed for a major recession. Jeff, what's wrong with the investment community? They've known for how long that the federal government was going to increase interest rates to cool down inflation. Seems to me a lot don't like to invest for the long term. Well, there is, you know, Mike made this comment, and and there is a lot of panic that's out there. And, you know, you, you wonder, is is the stuff, is some of the concerns, is it really a valid economic concern or are, are people, are, are, is it just this herd mentality and is it that everybody is freaked out? Now that doesn't make it any easier if, you know, you're getting closer to retirement or whatever. Um, Jeff, I'm at about an eight. I still don't think we felt the full extent of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, I believe food prices are going to continue to increase. I think it's going to hit us in 2023 even harder. Jeff, watching this bloodbath sickens me. I'm 44 and have saved my whole life, but I have to stay positive and I will stick this out.
out. I'm looking down the road and not just past my nose. Um, right. And he says, I have confidence that the country is going to bounce back. Jeff, I'm concerned for sure. I'm 60 and I've watched the spiral. It also reminds me that my true treasure is, um, uh, is, uh, is not to destroy my heart, good times, uh, and I'm not going to end up panicking. Um, let's see, Jeff, I'm about a 10. I could sure go for a mean tweet to you right now. Um, Jeff, how can it not be a 10? That's it. And then the other perspective, um, I, I'm a 1. I'm ready to just keep buying on the downswing. Well, I guess that that is the attitude that you can have. It's like, okay, the stock market's going to come back, and now is a buying opportunity. Of course, the problem is, um, how many people have a lot of money that's sitting on the side that you can jump in and just just buy? And again, it's the whole idea of where where you are in in the scale. But I think here, here's one of the lessons moving forward is that I think over the last several years we became accustomed to the idea that the stock market was just always going to go up, and it, it, we've. For a, a good portion of time, you know, inflation has been under control. We thought the stock market was always going to go up. People got used to looking at your 401ks or your IRAs, and it was always up quarter after quarter. And people always said it was it, it was going to go down. Now, I think what happened is, I think a lot of us who thought, okay, yeah, we understand there's some risk and it's going to go down, didn't necessarily contemplate that it was going to crater. <laughs> you know, there, I mean, there, there's going down, oh, I lost a couple percent this this quarter. All right, you, you understand that's what comes into the territory. The fact that the decline has been as dramatic and precipitous as it is, and the fact that there's really no safe place to go. I mean, wherever you turn, you know, bonds are down, stocks are down, inflation is up. So if you put your money in cash, well, you're, you're losing out if prices are going eight or up eight or nine percent. So there's just no safe haven. So you're all, we're all pretty much on that, that same ship that has just hit the iceberg and is going down. And you figure, yeah, at some point in time, those rescue boats are going to come along. You just don't know when that's, that's going to be. So I'm not advocating jumping out because that's not not a good solution. But I do think this does demonstrate to people who either thought that the market was always going to go up or alternatively didn't recognize that even though it could go down, it could go down as precipitously as it has. It's it's kind of an object lesson. Me, I got to be honest, I'm I'm probably about a seven or, or so. Um, and it's it's just very, very frustrating because you have a certain idea as to, okay, this is this is how much money I thought I had, and then all of a sudden, this is how much money I've had. And I really, I really feel bad for people who are in retirement or close to retirement and who don't have huge nest eggs, you know, who were saying, okay, well, this is what I think my life in retirement was going to be, and now all of a sudden, there's it 20% less, and that really does maybe change a, a, a lot of, of plans. So for middle-class investors, I, I really feel very, very bad because you don't know how much time they're going to have to come back, and that is that is just the reality. For what it's worth, everybody is in the same, like I say, very, very leaky boat. Unless I have to stop this. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm sitting behind to, to pull back the curtain i have this this big board in front of me even though i'm there's all these just different buttons i'm only allowed to push four of the buttons <laughs> yes. five in case of an emergency uh-huh. but but i have my computer screen and i have a, a wide variety of things opened i've got like our our text line that's open and i've got my twitter thing that's open and i've got a number
number of I have my email thing that's open and I and a number of diff- different websites that I look at and so I, I fluctuate back and forth but the one I admit I'm fixating on is I have the Wall Street Journal's thing up and uh-huh. they're, they're the page so it, it's like i see what's going on on a minute by minute basis with the dow and the nasdaq and i just i need to stop you I'm know telling, you shouldn't do that i, I, I I'm, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I'm like telling myself mm. no it's not going to change anything and all you do is kind of like frustrate yourself by looking at this but i i, I can't i mean it's like um, hi my name is jeff and i'm an addict here i, I can't i can't stop <laughs> watching the wall street journal you and everyone else i have an app on my phone where i I shouldn't do this either. I check my 401k every day. But I've been stopping that because it's just not good for my mental health. No, no. (laughs) To don't check your 401k every day because hopefully, you know, we'll get to a point where it bounces back. But right now it looks pretty bad. Well, yeah, and and you would... You would, you have you have and time, I do I right? know I feel really no, bad for so people you're, out there you're that you're doing yeah. the right thing though so actually the Dow is back a little bit it's now down 180 it was down 300 and some but it's still it's still pretty, it's a roller coaster it's, ride it's Jeff. pretty darn bleak I'm, I'm I'm telling myself I should just close this out but not quite all right when we come back are you committing career suicide I will explain we will discuss. MPS announcing that they are also going to be closing early tomorrow because of the extreme heat. 30 MPS buildings have no air conditioning at all. Um, about 20% of the MPS buildings do, in fact, have air conditioning, and the, the balance have some air conditioning, not others. But, uh, again, we can't call it. I thought tomorrow was the last day of school for MPS. Could be wrong about that. But uh, the, one of the reasons that they're – you might say, well, well, why are they bringing people in if you're going to close a half day? Well, it it's not just about education. What it's about is the, the free breakfast and the free school lunches. And so they bring people in, and they, they feed the kids. Uh this story I'm looking at says if parents decide to keep their child home Wednesday, they just uh, call and report the absence and it will be treated as a valid absence. So that's where we are with the heat. Um, there, I want to, in, in the time remaining to us, I, I want to talk about whether you think you're committing career suicide. And, and here's, things changed as a result of the pandemic. What happened is, you know, when the, the government closed down a lot of businesses, a lot of those businesses just, just never reopened. And many of the businesses that did either stay open during the pandemic or reopened, it, it was it was a different world. I mean, people, people started working at home, and a lot of people like the fact that they're working at home. And we've talked about this before, the idea that um, lots and lots of workers say, hey, I don't want to go back to the office. I, I, at least I don't want to go back to the office five days a week. I, I think I'm just as productive at home. It's cheaper to stay at, at home, um, and it's there's less distractions. And the idea of getting up and getting dressed and getting in the car and driving for you know 40 minutes to go into an office and then having to pay to park and then being in the office all day and then having to drive 30 or 40 minutes back, it's just not worth it. And so a lot of employers, and we've talked about this, are figuring out ways to try to accommodate people. A lot of employers would love to have people back in the office five days a week but that's just not practical because there's a lot of employees saying we're not coming back five days a week and you know and if if you insist well we're going to take our skills 
elsewhere. And so that's the tension that, that's going on now. And what you find is that there's more and more employers who are trying to figure out ways to accommodate the, those workers. You know, you don't you, you don't want to have a mass exodus. You'd prefer to have your workers back in the office, but at the same time, you know, that if, if people won't come back to work, you know, what are you going to end up doing? So a lot of wor- a lot of workplaces are coming up with hybrid models. And by hybrid model, I mean if you don't let somebody work full-time at home, you say, okay, here, here's the deal. We need you in two days a week, or we need you in three days a week. And you, and you can pick those two or three days. But for other other places, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we, we want you to do the job so you can stay at home. So here's the here is the question that you have to wrestle with. And I've been thinking about this because there was a real interesting article in the Wall Street Journal the other day about it. Here's the headline. Think working from home won't hurt your career? Don't be so sure. And then the subheadline is many companies are letting employees stay home some or all of the time. But but workers who frequent the office might be the ones to get ahead. And then it's a real interesting story that talks about how you know the people the people who are actually there the people who are showing up, the people who are getting their face time, you know, in front of the managers or the, you know, the bosses, that those are the people that in many companies might be the most likely ones to be advanced and to succeed because you have that sort of that proximity that that's there. And that if you want to thrive or you want to survive, you know, th- this is what this is what happens, and there's a lot of reasons why they say that. That there's there's they call it proximity bias. It's a tendency to favor people in close proximity to you, and it, it's human nature, and that's the way things have worked in business like for forever. All right, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I've always I've always said to people. That in whatever business you're in, showing up is about seventy percent or seventy-five percent of, of the game. You know, if you and and I, I mean showing up, I mean you're just just going to work. I mean being there, being available, etc. And that other twenty or twenty-five percent is how what a how well you do. You know, once you're there. But I mean, you you, you got to show up, and I didn't necessarily mean showing up at work per se. But I mean, okay, you're you're there, you're taking on the assignments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, now there's a lot of people who, yeah, they're, they're going to stay at work, but they're not going to actually be physically in work at work. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. Do you think not physically being in the office, either some or all of the time, is going to hurt? those people who aren't there. 855-616-1620. I think it's got to. I just think it's got to. Maybe not in all cases, but in a lot. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm at a much different stage in my career, but I, I was I was thinking back, like when I was a young lawyer, and if if back then they had the choice, okay, you, you don't have to be in the office except when you absolutely have to be in, in the office. Um, would, would that have would that have hurt 
my career? And I, I think the answer, I mean, it, at least in my case, I think it's probably yes. I mean, I think, you know, FaceTime and being around, right or wrong, I think for a lot of people, you know, you're you're more visible to the people that are making the decisions as to who's going to get promoted and, and what. And, and yeah, I guess I think if I was a 30, you know, two-year-old young lawyer who wanted to advance, you know, in the firm I was with or the company I was with. Yeah, I think, I think being around and being seen by the higher-ups, I think that would, would be, you know, important. And it, it might be superficial, but I think that's the reality. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's not just the individuals potentially looking for promotions and visibility that are working from home. Our managers and ze- executives are too. Um, showing in the up in the office won't matter if they're not here. Yeah, I think that that's fine, but I, I think, you know, at a lot of companies, the executives and the top managers, th- they're back now, um, at least at, at many you know, uh, companies that are there. Um, Jeff, I think for the next few years, it probably will affect people career-wise working remotely or hybrid. As the older bosses age out, however, I think the younger generation of bosses will look more favorably on remote or hybrid work, and it won't be as much as an, an issue. Jeff, I agree with you. My reasoning is because when you show up at the office, you are in most cases dressed and ready to go, and it shows that you somewhat care about your job because you're coming in to not only do the work, but also represent the company in a positive way and be part of that workplace atmosphere when you're at home you could be in pjs all day for example um i believe the lack of interaction with co-workers makes you just another number for example I, maybe that's that kind of expresses it it's that lack of of interaction with the co-workers and again it, it's different for different people i'm getting a number of texts from people who are saying you know i i do agree i think it's probably hurting my my career development and my advancement but i'm cool with that because it, it's a fair trade-off. Jeff, here's one. Um, Dave, I've been a remote employee for five years. It has definitely hurt me in terms of moving to the next level in my company. However, remote work is a choice I've made. I realize if I want to move up in the company, I would need to relocate. Um, yeah. Jeff, if never in the office, yes, I think it could hurt. You won't be recognized as the one who jumped at that project ideas that are floated around in the office ecosystem when isolated at home. So, you know, a 50% mandatory home office work week is a good idea for all, I think. Jeff, you know, you nailed it. I think it's human nature. Sadly, nowadays, people go out of their way to try to change or to challenge it. Jeff, I'm hybrid. I don't think I'm committing career suicide because my outlook is good and I'm appearing on site at least twice a week. The flip side to those being at the office 100% is that management sees their mistakes more and they see how much time they waste. Well, I mean, I guess that's the factor that is out there as well. Jeff, our company closed their local office during the pandemic, so we don't have a choice other than working from home. Jeff, I don't see why it should matter if your productivity is either the same or better. Isn't promotion based on your performance? Well, that, that that's, I mean, I guess that's an interesting question that's there. And, and my answer would be, maybe it all depends. But I think, you know, promotions and advancement in a company, and again, it really, this, this whole conversation depends on where you are in your particular career. But I, I don't know 
that promotion or advancement is based exclusively on on performance. Isn't it based on all sorts of other factors, including in many places, and maybe it varies from company to company, but those intangibles? You know, do you show leadership capabilities? Are you a team player? Can you work well with others? All those different things that go beyond just the... I don't know the, the the levels of performance. For example, you know, let, let's take a career in sales. There's all sorts of people who are really, really, really good salesmen or women. They're they're great. They're great at sales, but if you promote them to be the manager of other salespeople, they're they're not good at it. I'm, and that, that's, I can give you other examples, but that's, that's a classic one. The skill set that makes you a good, productive salesperson isn't necessarily the skill set that makes you good at managing other salespeople. And, and I'm, again, I, well, I'm thinking of people like that. And, and it's, it's not a knock. It's just, and I think a lot of people have to recognize, you know, where, where their talents are. The skills that make you a really good trial lawyer, for example, aren't necessarily the sale the same skills that make you, you know, a good fit for managing the law office or, or being the supervisor and, and things like that. So it's not just like looking at performance, oh look at the numbers this person has turned in or whatever. It, it's multiple factors that are out there. So th- this is it's a dynamic, and I do think one of our texters is probably correct that this is going to be at least for the immediate future, it's going to be, I think, a decision people make. I don't see how, for example, not being in the office when a good portion of your coworkers are, I don't see how that can't at least short term maybe hurt you with the whole concept of advancement. Whether that's whether you care about that or not, you know, and it's fine. It might be the trade off is just more than worth it. Okay, maybe I'm not going to be first in line for a particular promotion, but you know what? It's worth it to be at home to do this. Those are all factors. And maybe five or 10 years from now, that the whole workplace look is going to be completely different and it won't matter at all. Time will tell.